Hospitality Media presents the Mike and Mo Show. Now here are your hosts, Mike Calandrillo and Maurice Moten. Welcome one and all, episode 38 of the Mike and Mo Show. I'm Mike Calandrillo, he is always is Maurice Moten. And if you were not watching Game 7 of the World Series last night between the Cubs and the Indians, then you were alone because it was arguably the greatest Game 7 in World Series history. I mean, the action was intense, people were on the edge of their seats, so many things went on, that, and we'll get into it, but it was absolutely intense to watch. Even Mo was, was, was at the edge of his seat, sweating profusely, rooting for whomever. He just wanted the game to keep going on and on and on. Of course, we're going to have a ton of NFL action, a, a trade a trade in the world of the NFL, which does not happen during the season. Uh, we're going to talk Cam Newton, late hits, his talk with Roger Goodell. Of course, the NBA season is in week two. Lots of great action going on there, but Mo, welcome to the show, and uh, let's get into the World Series. I think uh, you are finally on board with baseball being the greatest sport in the world. Yeah, I wouldn't say all of that, okay? Uh, I had a Facebook status yesterday that said, baseball is number three within American sports to me behind, obviously, football and basketball. Hockey, I'm sorry, hockey fans, but not really into hockey all that much. But I, I said, hey, this should increase interest in baseball for story franchises. I don't. If this were Dodgers and Blue Jays, I don't think people would care as much. But because you had the Cubs, who haven't won since 1908, and you have the Indians, who haven't won since the mid to late 1940s, then you have a story, and you have two franchises who needed a, a World Series victory to basically validate their sports alliances with their with their team. And obviously, the Cubs won it. And fans of Chicago went crazy and filled the streets. I'm sure there were a couple of riots. But again, I, I felt intrigued in the series because, again, there was a storyline there. It, without, if, without the storyline, I probably would click into it, but I probably would kind of click back and forth between NBA, even though Knicks were getting crushed, and, and MLB. But I was invested in the Cubs because at the beginning, a couple episodes ago, I said I wanted to see the Cubs finally win and reverse the curse. I wanted to be alive to be able to say I, I've seen it happen. And and it did. But to your point, it was a great game. Went into extra innings. You had some mistakes. You had some big plays. It was probably the most beautiful, sloppy baseball game I've seen. Because again, you had the errors, but then you had you had the rain in there to add some dramatic effect to it. And it was it was a beautiful game and it was a great finish and I'm happy for the Chicago Cubs. And the fans. Uh, it just seemed like uh, it was almost something like out of a movie. I mean, you've got you've got the rain delay, that, and you got uh, David Ross who comes in in the latter part of the game, and he has it. Uh, you know, the the wild pitch hit him the mask, and two runs scored that got the Indians back in it. And then the next inning, he hits a solo home run over the center field wall. And this is a guy that's you know close to forty, retiring after this year, and it was just like one thing after the other. And Rajay Davis hitting that two run homer off of Aroldis Chapman, you would just. You know, you didn't want the game to ever end, and that's what that's what made it so exciting. You know, I said to, I said on Twitter to people, I was like, "This is what makes baseball so great." People don't necessarily love it; they don't they think it's too slow, they don't understand it. But each game is beautiful in its own way. So not every game is going to be that exciting. People's hearts couldn't take it, but every game, if you look at it, there's something like this. Maybe not as much, but something very similar that goes on that will trans 
you know, change the game for the better one way or the other. So for, for me, the baseball purist, uh, I loved every minute of it. That's why I watched the game. Obviously, I would have rather uh, watched a team that I root for. But, you know, I ha you have to take yourself out of the equation. Uh, not a fan of the teams, but as a fan of the game in general, and I root for a lot of the guys that are on the field, uh, it, was, it was beautiful. I mean, that's the thing. You have to separate yourself. You know, we're not all Cubs and Indians fans, but there's there's parts of the game that we love, whether it's Chapman, whether it's Andrew Miller for me as a Yankee fan, whether I play fantasy baseball and it was, hey, I got I had Chris Bryant during the season, Jason Kipnis. There's just there was something to keep you invested. And and hopefully people watch the whole series because game seven was great and it was the epitome of the series. But every game was just as good. Yes, there was a couple it was one or two blowouts here and there, but that's what got us to game seven so I, for me watching the majority of the, of the series was fully invested but people that tuned in at game seven hopefully it enlightens them a little bit and it gives them you know a little bit going into next year to say eh, baseball's not that bad hey i'm not saying baseball is that bad but when you have 162 games it kind of turns you off because it's kind of saying well what's the difference between game 40 and game 87 you know once the playoffs come around i tend to tune in a lot more because there's a sense sense of urgency of course but when you have a long season it's kind of like man i'll, I'll watch I, again i'm the type of person that i watch a baseball game from beginning to end if i'm in attendance in, at a stadium but if i'm watching at home i'd probably do something else unless unless it's the playoffs but back back to the actual game you had you had the momentum swings and a lot of the players talked about the rain delay because of course the interviewers and reporters want to know how the rain delay affected them and, and basically both sides I should say the, the Cleveland Indians, and Terry Francona said this, he said, I don't know if the rain delay really affected anyone. And they asked him, well, what did you do, Francona, during the rain delay? And he was like, I don't know, I went to the bathroom. He's like, it wasn't even that long, you know? It wasn't a huge, like, a 30-minute delay. Like, it was probably half that. So, yeah. again, Francona didn't, didn't want to blame it on anything existential. and said, you know what? They played a great game. We gave it all we had, and it just wasn't enough. And you kind of felt bad for Corey Kluber because he played a good series, and you know he got he got pulled after the Chicago uh, Cubs were racking up hits and runs. But that that's that's part of it. And I believe you said this episodes ago that the Cleveland Indians pitching would, would eventually get them in trouble. Of course, some people didn't have them going this far, but you got to give it up to their pitching staff with their overlooked uh, overworked uh, pitching doing all they can to win games. They just came up a little bit short. But if the Cubs had lost this game. Would we look at Joe Madden for his mistakes, or would we look at Javier Baez as the guy who kind of blew it for them? Of course, he had that, uh, he missed on that bare knuckle uh, catch and throw, and then he had that bunt that turned into an out. So, I don't, Cubs got out of a situation because either of those guys, you could have looked at and said, hey, they, they screwed up this game. Of course, you said Ross had the pitch that bounced off his face mask, but before that, Baez had two major errors. That open eyes of people say, "Hey, this isn't looking good for the Cubs," and they're thinking about that curse already. Yeah, I don't, I don't understand what Baez was doing, uh, bunting with two strikes. You never do that. So you know, the announcers were talking. Oh, you know, did, did Joe Madden call for that? No, Joe Madden would have never called for that because it was one out and a sacrifice fly potentially ties, you know, ties the game. But we know that Baez was was scuffling, and after that error, you know, he his probably his psyche was not fully there. But again, this is a guy who this was his real his first breakout campaign this is where he's going to be around for a very long time super talented guy now that he's the second baseman of the cubs for the foreseeable future you're going to see big things out of him uh, as far as the manager's concerned i really think that they were tired i think of, of everybody that was involved in the world series these guys kind of 
overmanaged or, or tried to outmanage each other, and it kind of backfired because, like you said, Joe Madden kind of did too many things. Uh, he pulled Kyle Hendricks way too early. He left John Lester in way too long. And obviously, we saw what he did with Chapman uh, in a five-run game on Tuesday night. He brought him in right back the next day and let him pitch almost three innings again. And look, Chapman, who usually throws a couple hundred miles an hour, that last inning was throwing 88, 87s. And that's not like him, but you, this is a, this is a closer. This is not even a relief pitcher. This is a guy that goes only one inning, maybe one and two thirds every so, so often. So for him to get, you know, 45, 50 pitches is insane. And obviously it's going to affect him. But again, you got Chapman from the Yankees. You gave up the farm for him. You got him to win you the World Series. So I understand that you put everything into him. But that's the problem. If you don't, if you're not so, the belief is not so much there in the rest of your bullpen, that's not such a good thing. And, and obviously, you know, he didn't go to Carlos Rondon. And he went to C.J. Edwards to, the end, to end the game. And, you know, uh, almost blew it. But again, you, you have to have that faith because, again, Chapman's only one man. You cannot pitch him every single day. And and, and I put the other law, I put the other end of it on on Tito Francona that he used everybody on his bench. And at the end of the game, with a man on second, the tying run on second base, you bring in Michael Martinez. Michael Martinez, who batted around a hundred this year, who bounced around as the journeyman, and you're gonna bring him up with the with the potential tying run on second base to be your pinch hitter? Like, no, that that can't be. You have to leave somebody on the bench that's gonna make a difference to potentially put a ball in a gap or over the wall to win you the World Series. So, uh, mismanagement. But I get that it was look. The stakes were high. The pressure was there. It was Game Seven of the World Series. There was a lot of different parts, but. If you look at that rain delay and, and you, you look at Chris Bryant who came on the air after the game and said that rain delay was the biggest and best thing to happen for the Cubs because after Chapman gave up that home run to Raji Davis, he was in tears. He was crying. They went to the locker room. They went to the weight room actually in the locker room and they regrouped as a team. And Jason Hayward, who got a $180 million contract this year but didn't earn it, rallied the troops and he was that leader and that consummate professional. And regardless of what – if he ever – adds up to $180 million worth of productivity, they won a World Series with him in his first year. So it was worth it. But he got the team on the same page. They got Chapman to, to you know, come back to the team, to, to be the eye of the tiger, to to know that this was not going to be the way that they were going to fall flat. And it worked. So maybe that's what the Indians were lacking. Tito Francona was in the bathroom, but the, the Cubs were rallying around each other, coming to the aid of Chapman, who pitched his heart out, but had a bad inning. So that's the difference between winning the World Series and not, you know, that, that, that moment that defines teams and obviously fate was on the side of the Chicago Cubs and congratulations, you know, 108 years of the Billy Goat curse are over, but this is a team that is not going to, you know, not going to be one and done. You're going to see the Cubs for a very long time. They got a young nucleus. They got, they got a up and coming pitching staff. It'll be interesting to see some of the pieces that they add this year, but, um, Hey, Cubs are going to be around a long time, so if you're an NL uh, NL supporter anywhere in the National League, you got to go. Through, you're going to have to go through the Cubs. I've heard analysts say basically both teams will be back in the mix next year, and we'll see how that turns out. But what I say to that is, well, now what is Cleveland that crest anymore? You got two teams that went to their uh, sports championship games. The Cubs have won. The Red Sox have won. Theo Epstein, by the way, belongs in the Hall of Fame. I know I believe yeah. only four uh, GMs are in it. He should be the fifth. You know, if that's the case, but now what? Now what do we have? We, we don't have any more, I guess, lovable losers in MLB. 
it's kind of like the nerve finally gets the girl now. So what, I mean, what do we have to look forward to next season? And if you're a casual baseball fan, if you're into baseball, I get it. You're going to watch regardless. If you have a rooting interest, you're going to, you're going to watch regardless. But now the two story, the two biggest storylines in baseball are pretty much done with the Red Sox and the Cubs. Thanks to Theo Epstein. So interesting to see, but I mean, we'll see how the interest goes and the storyline goes next year when the Cubs pop up or when the Indians pop up. Cause as I said, Reporters and even analysts have said both teams have have good pieces and they should be back in the mix again. Uh, it's possible. I am not one that really believes in the Indians next year. They need to get that pitching righted. Danny Salazar will be back. Carlos Carrasco will be back. Kluber's there. Uh, they're going to need to add a fourth. They're going to be good. But will you get the same year out of Mike Napoli, Raji Davis, uh, Carlos Santana? There's a lot of question marks. And they play in a tough division. Let's not forget, the Detroit Tigers are still decent. Kansas City Royals were in the World Series, uh, you know, a couple years back-to-back. Uh, it's it's a deep it's a deep deep American League, especially in the West, and of course you've got the Red Sox, the, the Orioles, the Yankees, the Blue Jays, everybody in the East. So not as easy a road uh, to the World Series as some make it out to be. But again, that's the beauty of baseball. There's a lot of parity, and uh, anything can change from one year to the other. So that is it. We're gonna wrap up the World Series. We'll be right back to talk NFL in open mic. Open mic. Well, Bill Belichick must think that his team is not in need of big-time defensive game-breakers because he went and traded Jamie Collins to the Cleveland Browns. I'm sorry, Jamie, your career is over. Uh, You were dealt to Cleveland for a third or fourth pick, depending on uh, the outcome of the season. But, look, we've heard a couple different things about why. Uh, His work ethic, not there. The possibility that he wanted Von Miller-type money next year, uh... So it's hard to say exactly why, but you know, Bill Belichick has done these types of things, traded Chandler Jones last offseason, and, and you know, you know, right now it hasn't really affected them. Is this the type of move, Mo, that is going to finally bite Bill Belichick, or is he just the mad scientist that all these wor- seem all these moves seem to eventually pan out for the good? Before I answer that question, let me just read to you a quote from Jamie Collins himself when asked. This is the question asked him. Which would you rather watch, college football or pro? This was his answer. Truth, this was his word-for-word answer. Neither. I didn't grow up watching football, and I still don't. Me and Chandler Jones have talked about this when I first got up here. I never watched football. I never thought I'd be here, and I'd rather play video games. I don't really want to watch it. Now, when you read that quote, when I read that quote, that doesn't sound like a Bill Belichick player. A Bill Belichick player is... I I don't want to say this guy is smart, but... A Bill Belichick player studies film tirelessly and tries to work on his craft in every chance he gets. This sounds like a guy who's just happy to be on the football field. He's just saying, look, I like video games. I don't really, I'm not really in the football like that, but hey, since I'm good, I'll play. And he has a reputation of being a freelancer on the field. He's not really uh, disciplined in his, in his lanes or coaching. He's just going to get out there and do what he feels best and go in his gut. Again, that doesn't sound like a Bill Belichick guy. So while he does have the production and he is a versatile linebacker, he just doesn't fit the mold. And, and when you're asking for $12 million per year or more, which is in the Luke Keekly type of category, Bill Belichick is not going to resign you to a new deal. He's going to send you off and say, hey, I'd rather get a draft pick than lose him for, for, for nothing because he's asking for too much money. And then he's not even fully invested in the game. So, uh, to me, it was a good move by Bill Belichick personnel-wise. Of course, it's going to hurt the defense as far as his production. But this is a guy 
who floundered this year, and, and Mike Lombardi, who was a former staff member of Bill Belichick's coaching staff, he played a clip and it showed basically Jamie Collins freelancing, and he let up 28 yards to a Bills running back. And he said that's been happening all year with the Patriots. So they have another guy. I believe his name is um, Alande Roberts, who's going to start or take Collins' spot. And hopefully he's the Bill Belichick type of guy who studies film and plays discipline. Yeah, and I guess it makes sense when you've got to figure Dante Hightower and Malcolm Butler are both set to be unrestricted free agents at the end of the year. And, you know, are they more are they, you know, better suited to the system? Quite possibly. Are they more dedicated to the cause? Well, it certainly appears so. And, you know, you're not going to be able to sign all three of those guys, so you get something for them. Third-round pick could turn out to be something big. But like you just stated, if, if it's not working for the system that is Bill Belichick, you got to go. And it seemed like maybe him and Chandler Jones uh, in cahoots. And obviously now they're playing with with other organizations. So, you know, at the end of the day, this is Belichick's world. We're all just paying rent in it. Let's move on to uh, to a little bit of shade, a little bit of shade like an umbrella that my man Russell Wilson was throwing at Cam Newton. Now, we know that Cam has been hit more times then he would probably care to, to uh, you know, be hit. But he had a conversation with Commissioner Roger Goodell this week. They say it went swimmingly. We're all on the same page, blah, blah, blah. Well, Russell Wilson came out and said, quote, I think, first of all, you got to play the quarterback position in a smart way. Obviously, we didn't want if we didn't want to get hit, we'd be playing a different sport. That's just the truth. If I didn't want to get hit, I'd be playing tennis. But I think that in terms of being smart on the field, you got to get down and protect yourself. I haven't seen all of the hits, so I don't know if some of them are illegal. I really don't know because I really haven't seen Cam Newton play this year. Uh, you know, there's a lot of truth to this. You saw when Cam Newton took that uh, took the concussion when he got hit in Atlanta. He was loping into the into the uh, into the end zone, and the linebacker for the Falcons came out of nowhere and put a good hit on him. Now, you know, it might have been helmet under the chin, but regardless, Cam went in soft, and he thought he had a, a straight edge shot to the end zone, and it didn't turn out the way he might have got in still. But again, you do bring the your, you do bring these things onto yourself depending on your style of play now mo it, does russell wilson have a legitimate case or is just him just saying hey man I, i'm not worried about you you do these things to your damn self first of all i want to uh my apologies to elandon roberts of the patriots he's going to be the one filling in for jamie collins but back to this cam newton russell wilson uh quote-unquote feud which is not really a feud but just wilson basically told cam newton hey if you don't want to get hit Get down. And we've yeah. seen Cam Newton reach for those extra yards if he can get it, and we applaud him for that because we say he's fearless, but at the same time, he's enduring hits that he doesn't have to take on. Now, when Russell Wilson says you have to play smart, basically he's basically telling Cam you have to learn how to slide. If you don't want to get hit, if you don't want the extra hits, and yes, these hits, some of these hits are legal, they're uncalled for, but these defenders, that's what they're going to do. If the refs are not going to call it, they're going to hit you. So Cam Newton has to learn how to protect his body, protect his longevity, and get down. But I will say this, too. Cam Newton has been sacked 201 times in his six-year career. Cam Newton's beef should be with his front office just <laughs> as much as the referees because, obviously, he doesn't have good enough protection in the pocket. Yeah. It doesn't come when the team is 2-5 and five and you're struggling and you're also getting hit in the face with a helmet or, or a bicep or whatever. But with the Panthers, in general, it, it's... It's become a problem because when Cam Newton is not himself, when he's not mobile, when he's not moving the ball as a running back almost, then they struggle. But, again, they're 2-5 and five for a reason. There's a reason why 
you know, this team doesn't think they're going to make the playoffs. But with Cam Newton, he kind of sounds like Odell Beckham Jr. when he says, oh, these hits are taking the fun out of the game. Guess what, Cam Newton? These defenders don't care about your fun, all right? They want you to be miserable. What I will say to Cam Newton is this. He has a legitimate gripe. The NFL should look at these hits. But he has to understand, in a game that's testosterone-driven, you do not want to get in front of a podium and basically tell everyone that you are afraid for your life because that just emboldens the defense to hit you and go at you even harder. So when you're out there, players are going to be talk- players are going to be chirping at him anyway, but now they're going to be like, oh, you scared, Cam? You like that hit? You, you know, you got to go cry to your mommy now after I hit you in the face? Like, you don't want that extra attention. So if he had a grievance, he should have went behind closed doors and went to the good Goodell rather than to talk to the media about it and just make it a public type of situation. Cam made a mistake on that, and you're going to hear a lot about what players are saying to him on the field. You're going to see a lot more players going after him, even more now, even more so. And you got to remember, he said, if you don't want me dancing or dabbing or in the end zone, stop me. And that's what the players are doing. And if he doesn't want extra attention, he should not dress like a cast member from Mary Poppins. Damn, homie! What's with the hat and the teal vest and the boots? You look ridiculous. Like, you should be singing extra cadrafragilis, expialidocious, because... Damn! Like you stole you stole those threads from from the remake of Mary Poppins. Yeah, you no. Know, someone actually made a comment about this. Someone said, "Cam, if you're gonna make a serious statement, a serious plea about your health on this, you might want to wear a more serious, low key outfit." My because he God. he had the feather in his cap and everything, and I was just like, "Wow, this person is actually right." It, I mean, it just looks comical because he's being serious. Yeah. I feel bad because he's actually seems like he's honestly afraid for his life out there. But then when you look at his outfit, you're like, you know, remember, image is not everything, but it's perception. And people, you know, we work on, in American society, at least we work on perception. How do you look at a certain moment? Sometimes people don't pay attention to the message you have to say. They go by how you look, and then they make judgments on that. So, Cam, keep it to yourself. Go behind closed doors. Fight your battles. And, and just don't let the defense know that you are scared or fearing for your life because, again, that just emboldens them even more. Absolutely. This Sunday, I will be in Miami as part of my bachelor party weekend watching the New York Jets taking on the Miami Dolphins. Hopefully, I'll bump into Joe Namath because my man does not want Ryan Fitzpatrick at the quarterback position anymore. While it doesn't matter if I agree about that or not, it'll be interesting because Joe, I'm honestly, I don't understand if Joe knows how to use Twitter or how he knows how to use Twitter or if somebody else is using it, but the man is very active. Like, he's like Mo, Mo Moten type active on Twitter. So this past weekend, he says, who thinks we should see Bryce Petty start the second half? I know I do. It hurts to say this, but we're not going anywhere with Fitzpatrick. Like, damn, talking about, this is like Russell Wilson type shade that he is throwing at Ryan Fitzpatrick. And as we know, they came back again and beat the Browns. So we're on a little bit of a winning streak here. You know, we win again this week and we're talking 500 ball. And that's what you gotta, you gotta play to get to the next level. But one, Mo, should the Jets even do anything about Joe, or does somebody really need to say, look, old man, please stop with the Twitter hating? And two, are the Jets doing the right thing now with Fitzpatrick, and is this enough to potentially get this team on the right track to- headed towards a playoff seeding? First of all, Joe Namath, I understand he won Super Bowl three. I get it, the number one finger running out. I get it, he's, he's an icon with the New York Jets organization, but he needs to have some lemonade and just chill out because... <laughs> He sounds like a foolish fan. I mean, of course, you're going to listen to him because he's Joe Namath, but 
Bryce Petty just started practicing about three weeks ago, so he's not ready. Christian Hackenberg has been on a depth chart with four quarterbacks throughout the year, and he hasn't taken a lot of the reps. He just started taking practice reps not too long ago. Neither of those backup quarterbacks are ready. He's, I mean, again, he sounds like a fan. And anytime something goes wrong, the fan wants the coach fired and they want the player benched. It's like, chill. Let let the thing play out. And I, I, I get it. We've seen this movie before with Ryan Fitzpatrick on other teams. But at this point in the season, you really don't have an alternative. If Geno Smith was healthy, I would vouch for Geno Smith to play. But he's not healthy. He has a torn ACL. He's not coming back this season. And your other two backups haven't played a full NFL game under center yet. So chill. Let Ryan Fitzpatrick do his thing. I predicted this last week. I felt like the Jets will go five and five. They got Miami, which is not as easy as a matchup as I initially thought because JHI has come alive. And then they have the Rams. I mean, both those teams could actually beat the Jets, but they can both actually still lose also because these are three flawed teams when you're talking about the Jets, the Dolphins, and the Rams. I'm sticking to my prediction that the Jets will go 5-5. Five five. It's a prelude to today's wrap-up. But, Joe Namath, just chill out. I believe the Jets are doing the right thing right now because they have no other alternative to go to at quarterback. So, um, should I get excited and wear my Jets stuff this weekend? Or is that going to be a bad look for me? If you want to be safe about it, <laughs> I would wear something Matt Forte-related uh, because Fitzpatrick may have a bad game, but Matt Forte found his uh, stroke, so to speak, last week. So we'll see if he can keep that going because the Dolphins' front line, their defensive line has been underachieving for it as long as I remember. Remember, this is a defensive line with a Dominican suit, Cameron Wake on it, and they're pretty much underachieving. I mean, they have Mario Williams also now. They picked up in free agency, and they're still underachieving. So I still had the Jets winning this game slightly. Uh, don't bank on anything Tannehill related. As you know, I dumped Tannehill like five weeks ago. He's mm-hmm. so old news now. Yep. But, uh, yes, I'm rolling with the Jets. If, if you must, if you want to wear some Jets garb, go with something Forte-like. Stay away from anything Fitzpatrick, though. All right, good. Good to know. Um, it looks like the Jacksonville Jaguars are no longer the darling of the NFL like everybody had uh, hoped and predicted for this season. And now the worst news that I've quite possibly ever heard in my life, they're looking to pull a Joe Gibbs. And if you don't know what that means, remember when the Redskins went out and took the man who used to be their Super Bowl winning coach and was then involved in NASCAR and decided to bring him back to the sidelines? Yeah, how did that work out? Not so much. Well, it looks like the Jags want to do the same thing and are potentially interested in bringing back Tom Coughlin? What? Like, this was the My coach. Grandpa. Yeah, your, your great-grandfather. He was a coach from 95 to 2002. Like, I understand that this season has gone awry. They just fired the offensive coordinator. I don't understand how Gus Bradley still has a job. Blake Bortles is not getting any better at his current pace. But there are so many better options than bringing back father time. Uh, I can think of two guys in New England assistant coaches that should be brought on. Even Shanahan's kid is now a hot commodity. Why in the world? I understand that he, he's familiar with the area. He probably knows where all the Cracker Barrels and Denny's are located. But what does this have to do with getting the Jaguars to relevancy? Uh, like, what is the owner, Shahid Khan, thinking about? You, you have to think about it like this. They're probably looking at Tom Coughlin like this. Okay, number one, he led us to prosperity when the franchise was an infant in infancy stage. As you know, the Jacksonville Jaguars came in with the Panthers as expansion teams in I believe ninety six. And then you look at people look at Coughlin as a disciplinarian. But what I will say is this when he had Odell Beckham Jr., who is a handful, what happened in New York when that whole thing went down between him and Josh Norman? 
people people chastise Coughlin for, for bungling that situation and not handling it correctly. What I will say about his record is he's had 12 seasons with the Giants and only in four of those seasons. That means a third of those seasons he's went to the playoffs and only twice has he won a playoff game. And of course, those are two Super Bowl wins, of course. So, yes, he does have the Super Bowl rings to show off. But his percentages are not good. If you're looking for 4 out of 12, and he's 69 years old, again, he's, he's the age of my grandpa. Maybe my, actually, maybe not. Maybe a young grandpa right now. <laughs> but he's not going to connect with the younger crowd that's in the NFL right now. Now in the NFL, not only do you have to be able to coach, you have to be able to connect with players. And people have said that even Bill Belichick has a personality behind closed doors. Number one, Coughlin had to be molded. If you remember when he took over with the Giants, at first, he was too stern. It was Coughlin time. Everything was five minutes early. And then Strahan said we had to soften him up a little bit. So, yes, now he's probably the cuddly grandma because... Grandma. The grandma. cuddly grandpa because the Giants <laughs> softened him up. But he's 69, and I don't think he's going to connect with the Jaguars players. And I think the Jaguars be better suited with an offensive mind. You mentioned it, Josh Daniels, who's the OC in, in New England. Sean McVay, who's made Kirk Cousins look something better than a fraud in Washington. Call him. As you said, Kyle Shanahan with Atlanta. Atlanta has the number one passing offense, number one offense, period, in the league. Call Kyle Shanahan, give him his first job. Even I'll I'll even go with, as you said, uh, New England Patriots defensive coordinator, Matt Patricia. Give him a defensive head coach, but then hire somebody who's good with the offense, maybe a Lane Kiffin. I wouldn't give Lane Kiffin the head coaching position, but I would give him an OC job because he's doing well in Alabama. Alabama has a mobile quarterback. I know Blake Bowles is not that type. But Lane Kiffin has shown to be a brilliant offensive mind when he's not the head coach. So if you have something, one of those combinations where you have an offensive mind leading the team or a good defensive coordinator with an offensive coordinator, a good one, I think the Jaguars will be on a better trajectory. But you don't dig back into the past, into the Stone Age, and dig up Tom Coughlin who's, who's 70, 69, 70 years old and lost control in New York City with the Giants. Yeah, really. Lock it up, Jacksonville. I mean, that's... Come on now. And you know you know what my boy Rob Gronkowski would say about 69, right? You saw you saw no. that highlight of that. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I know exactly what you're going with. Maybe <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, not for a family show, but I knew what you were going with. I love with. the fact that he giggled and then he said... And then the one woman, uh, the, the newscaster, she said she giggled and he was like, you know what I'm talking about, baby. That was so awkward, but so funny and so... <laughs> So Gronkowski, so I appreciate that from him. Remember, this is the same guy, Gronkowski, that gave a lap dance to a, a Fox One analyst, I believe she was on Fox Sports, and gave her a lap dance on television with Jason Whitlock. Oh, same guy. Guy has no shame. Same. He has no shame. He is a frat boy to the highest infinite power. Now, I have a quick question for you, Mo. A little bit of trivia here. Okay, you ready? Ready. What is Dak Prescott's real first name? Oh, it's um, it starts with an R. It's Rains or something, I think, right? It's Dakota. Where are you going with that? <laughs> it's, no, it's Rain, isn't it? Rain. Dakota Rain. I don't know. I I I just know it was Dakota. Isn't it like? Isn't Dakota his middle name? Yeah, but that's what he that's what he goes as. He goes as Dakota. I, yeah. I, I Dak wasn't his real name, but yeah. I heard it. I it's it's funny because I heard someone say today Rainy or Rains or something. I was like, I think it's Rain, because. Uh, you know, Rain, I thought was a female's name. Yeah, I mean, but yeah. Uh, Dak Prescott's whole name is just, I don't know what his parents were thinking, but he has an interesting name. But go ahead. No, yeah, yeah. That's, that's a, you know, neither here nor there. But it, a lot of news, <laughs> a lot of news out of Dallas. Obviously, 
right now this kid is winning games, okay? He didn't have a phenomenal game last week, but he still has a 99.6 passer rating for seventh among all starting quarterbacks. Uh, you know, and they asked him today, you know, do you still feel that this is Tony Romo's team, alluding to what he said, you know, a couple weeks ago, and he came out and said, it could be anybody's team. Um, you know, so obviously we're backtracking on this because the kid is getting the job done. I mean, we, we still know that, you know, Tony Romo may not be back until week 13. But it's just, it's hard to even fathom the idea, the idea that you, you the Cowboys, could potentially take this kid out from under center because he's just doing the job. I mean, you would think that this is a, this is a Tom Brady, Drew Bledsoe type of situation. I mean, 6-1, and one, only two interceptions thrown the entire year, and you got, you got the New York Giants coming this, this week, a big division game. Uh, to me, I don't care that the, the, old, the old fact is that, well, you don't lose your position due to injury. Uh, well, you know what? When you're six and one, all bets are all are, you know are out the window. You put that with Ezekiel Elliott. Des Bryant is back. This is a team that you know for once in a very long time could be a scary uh, team to play come playoff time. You said it. This is exactly what you just said. This is a Tom Brady Drew Bledsoe situation. And I, I laugh at people that say, well, you can't lose your job based on injury. Excuse me. Where would Tom Brady be right now if that held true? And think about all those jobs lost just because people weren't available. The first thing about being a football player, a good football player, is being available to play. Yeah. If you're not available to play, guess what? Someone else is going to take your spot. And that's what drives Tom Brady every day. And he says it. He says, look, if I miss a game, if I miss two games, someone else could play just as well, and I could lose my job. And if you have the mentality, you will always play at your top level, and you work hard to keep your body in shape. Now, Tony Romo, it isn't his fault because his body is a bit brittle at his age. But I think Dak Prescott, is he should, and he's going to keep his job, which means Tony Romo, this, this, this season will be the last we see of Tony Romo and Dallas. I know some people are sad about this because we're used to poking fun at him, even though he's a pretty damn good quarterback. But it's pretty much over because there's no reason, unless Dak Prescott, Mr. Mister Rain, Dakota Prescott, completely face plants. Unless that happens, Tony Romo is not getting back on the field for, for Dallas. And he should take a plane over to New York, over to Florham Park, and start for the New York Jets, but that's just my self-interest. Back to Dak Prescott, I think, I think he, you know, he surprised a lot of people. He was a fourth-round pick out of Mississippi State. He was okay, but not great. He had one spectacular season. Then he kind of dipped in his senior year, so people didn't expect much. But behind a really good offensive line like Dallas has, he he's blessed to have that. Then he has Dak. He has Des Bryant, uh, Cole Beasley as his slot receiver. Was kind of like a poor man's Julian Edelman. And he's rolling. So, Dallas, as long as the nucleus is working, you got Ezekiel Elliott there running the ball, Prescott protecting the ball, not making a lot of stupid throws, saying the right things to the media as a leader, you keep it just the way it is. Yeah, it's working. I mean, again, Tony Romo was not Peyton Manning, but Andrew Luck replaced Peyton Manning. And, you know, it worked out, you know, somewhat for for everybody involved. the, The time comes where it's... It's time to move on. Tony Romo has never won a, a you know a championship, an NFC, NFC title, hasn't done any of that, and he'll find work elsewhere. So don't feel bad for Tony Romo. But if you're a Cowboy fan and you're still hoping that Romo takes the reins, well then you deserve everything that Tony Romo brings with him. So but that is it. We're gonna talk some hoops and building momentum. We'll be right back. It's now time for building momentum. Well, tonight is a rematch that many in the NBA world have been waiting for. It's the Oklahoma City Thunder. It's the Golden State Warriors. It's going to get 
gritty. It's going to get nasty. Chris Brown's going to be singing Icebox where my heart used to be. I don't even know. Was that Omarion? I don't, it doesn't matter who it was. It's Omarion. Same guy. It's going to be great. It's going to be, it's going to be exciting. Mo, questions real quick. Ready. Do KD and Russell shake hands? Uh, yes, they will shake hands. KD will initiate that. I'm going to go with a no. It's going to be an ugly stare. Maybe somebody gets a headbutt. Mo, will <laughs> Russell have a triple-double? Because that is what he does. 30 points, 11 rebounds, 11 assists. Because who else is on that team besides Russell Westbrook taking over the court? Did you, by the way, did you see that, uh, did you see that video, uh, Bleacher Report, where uh, it was NBA 2K17 and Russell Westbrook was all starting five? I actually think I saw that, but I don't remember exactly how it played out. But I remember, I remember clicking on that scene. It, it, it was, was awesome. pretty fun. Yeah, it was awesome. Next question: Will KD lead the Warriors in scoring? Absolutely, because I think the Warriors are the type of team that's going to say, "Hey, we want KD to look good in front of his own." I mean, they're in Golden State, so of course they want KD to look good against Russ. They got to get him to feel comfortable. He's going to take up a lot of shots to kind of prove, "Look, I made the right decision to come here versus stay in Oklahoma City." All right, and then who wins and by how many? Warriors win by eight. Uh, the Warriors have been winning games, but they haven't really been blowing teams out. I remember they had a close game with Phoenix even at one point, so uh, I I don't see it as a blowout. It's going to be close to the fourth quarter, but at the end, I think the shooters on the Warriors will overtake Russ because Russ isn't the best shooter. When he's on, he's on, but he's not a shooter, and I think the Warriors are going to win based on their they jump shooting tonight. All right, so Mo's got the Warriors, and um, it should just be a fantastic game. Uh, Russell could possibly, I can see 40 points, but yeah, I, I, they should not win, although they've been playing very well, although I don't know if that's the team so much as Russell Westbrook just willing his team to victory, but regardless, it'll be interesting. Uh, and if anybody didn't see Mo's favorite player, Draymond Green, totally blow up <laughs> the Cleveland Indians and say, oh, three games to one, oh, God, sucks kind of hard, doesn't it? All right, Draymond. Do you have to stick? Hey, your, hey, you have to stick your hey, face hey, in everything. I mean, he. I mean, listen. LeBron is out here making cookies with a tombstone with people's names on them. You, you got to expect a shot back in the dark. LeBron's at the game. He's flexing as the, as the Indians are coming back. So you had to expect that someone on the Warriors, and if that's someone, it had to be my man Draymond Green taking a shot back at him with a three-one tweet first so, first of either. all lebron is not even a cleveland fan i wrote about it this week that he is actually a self-proclaimed yankees fan because when he was a kid he grew up liking winners so this whole cleveland thing was just because he's representing the city so he has no allegiance besides the fact that he grew up in akron so i mean it's good for him i'm glad that he rooted for his hometown team but come next year he'll be down in that yankee cap just like him and Dwayne wade typically do two draymond needs to worry about somebody being in the paint because right now san antonio looks just as good as golden state Kawhi leonard is ripping the nba apart the first player since 1979 with 65 points and 10 steals in his first two games uh that's who i would concern myself with. yeah this kid looks for real he's got 28 points per game which is 14 points more per game than his career average uh the defensive reigning player of the year if he can continue at this offensive clip lamarcus aldridge won't have to worry about being the man as we talked about a couple podcasts ago but that's that's what i would concern myself more with because they've got length they can shoot they can block they can drive to the hole tony parker is 97 years old and he's still running that that offense that's what i would concern myself with the draymond be quiet and worry about your damn self my man 
So you mean Zaza Pachulia is not folding on the paint? He's not enough? Really? Yeah, yeah, that was a good signing. <laughs> really smooth. Really, really, really Look, Zaza smooth. Pachulia was a shot-blocking machine. I'm, I'm kind of, you know, appalled and shocked. No, but seriously, I mean, they let go of Andrew Bogut, and they let go of Festus Azili. You knew this was going to happen. Players are going to attack the paint. And you're absolutely right. I think Russ is going to... He's gonna attack the paint tonight. Yeah. He, he, he may score about 35 or or more, because if you watch Warriors games, you can see that yeah, they can shoot the ball, but when it comes down to a player penetrating, they have field days in the painted area, and I think I think Russ is gonna relish in that moment. I think he's gonna to try to dunk on Kevin Durant, though, which Ooh. I would like to see. Yeah. I, I want to see some animosity. Of course, I predict a handshake yeah. because Kate's not that type of guy to start trouble. Russ is a little more cantankerous. But I want to see some, I want to see, not hatred, but just a rivalry build between these two teams. I want to see some nastiness now. I want to see Russ dunk on KD and then KD go, come back and try to dunk on Russ. Hopefully we see it. I want to see a competitive game, but a good game. Yeah, the pessimist in me wants this whole Golden State thing to backfire and uh, Kevin Durant leaves when his contract's up. But, you know, maybe that's asking too much. Regardless, what is going on with the Knicks? They looked so bad against Cleveland. Well, they looked decent for three quarters. Then they then they got blown out. Then they come back and they actually play really well against Memphis. Then they lose the other night. Uh, like obviously the the triangle is not working. Hornacek is just not getting through to the guys about the triangle. He even called it a hybrid triangle, so he's not even on board. What are they to do with this triangle and Phil Jackson, Mo? Uh, Jim Dolan. I James Golden needs to come down from his office. I know he's not going to do this, but he needs to tell Phil to just chill out. Like, Joe Namath, he needs to be with Joe Namath. Both of them, they just need to have pink lemonades in the green room or something. <laughs> and just chill out. Phil Jackson, let Jeff Hornacek coach the team. Because according to Frank Isola of the New York Daily News, the Knicks barely ran a triangle offense against the Grizzlies and scored 111 and played great. And two days later, Phil shows up at practice discussing the triangle offense, and guess what? The Knicks can't buy a bucket after that. If you watch them against the Pistons, if you watch them lately, they, they're just struggling to put points on the board and, and on the scoreboard. It, it, it's obvious that players look confused. They don't know when to pass, when to shoot, where to go with the basketball. It it looks pretty bad early. And I, again, I said this. This is why they're not going to win 50 games, because you're going to have these growing pains early. But what I worry about is that Phil's going to keep his nose in business that should not involve him. Yes, he, he is the VP of President Operations. I get it. He's he's bringing the players in. But when it comes to coaching, you are not coaching the basketball team anymore, Phil. You have a position. You made that position. You hired Jeff Warnesek for a reason. Let him do his job. Because when you let him do his job and he and you push the triangle to the side, the Knicks actually play great. So... I think Phil Jackson is coming in between he, the Knicks, and, and, and their success right now. So if he if he backs off, I think the Knicks improve. If he stays involved with this, there's going to be trouble, and the Knicks may struggle to get to 500. Yeah, and it's too bad because Derrick Rose looks pretty good. I mean, we saw him shake and bake the other night. I mean, he's only averaging between, you know, four and six assists a game. It's never really been his iota to dish the ball. But, look, he's looking good. If he can stay healthy, this there's no reason this team shouldn't at least make the playoffs. I mean, there's just there's too much talent for them to be this bad or to look like that Joe Kim Noah air ball from the other night. That just can't happen. But they need to get on the same page. I just, I don't know. I, I want this so much to work out because they went out and spent all this money but i just i don't i don't know it's gonna be it's gonna be an uphill battle all all season long until until somebody wins out either hornacek or jackson can, can you believe that the nets are looking more impressive Ugh. than the knicks right now no like 
that's that's a reality. Like the Nets, okay, the Knicks got crushed by the Pistons. Yeah. The next night, the Nets beat the Pistons, and they and they were blowing them out early. I mean, they closed the gap. Pistons closed the gap late, but the Nets still came away with the win. So I, I don't know. I'm a little. I'm not saying that the Nets are better than the Knicks, but as far as growth and development, the Nets get the edge right now because the Knicks just don't know where to go with with their development. Is it? Do you listen to Phil Jackson, or do you listen to Jeff Hornacek? I think that partially was a problem with Derek Fisher before he started messing around with other people's wives and girlfriends. <laughs> Lynn sanity. It's all about Lynn sanity. Well, sticking in New York, but switching it up to baseball. Bad news for the Mets. Uh, it seems that Jerry's Familia, the closer of the Mets, has gotten himself arrested and charged with simple assault in an alleged domestic violence incident with his wife, Bianca. This guy's only 27 years old, uh, but definitely headed down a, uh, a rather precarious road. Uh, had, a, had a great season on the field as far as saves are concerned. His ERA was pretty high, up almost around four. But any time that you're involved in this type of news, not a good look. Obviously not something that, you know, anybody should hope for, let alone, you know, your, one of your star players on your team uh but according to familia himself he said quote somebody's trying to damage my reputation with this info i'm at peace with my family said that to a reporter in the dominican republic so obviously there's a lot of uh, a lot of things that are still being in the news you know nobody really knows exactly what's going on but he was arraigned and released on a 1500 dollars bail uh he, this happened in new jersey where he stays with his family uh so mo obviously things are things are going awry right now for the mets a lot of question marks uh, this is a guy who's is going to be making 8.7 million dollars next year only his second season of arbitration eligibility but but it's interesting because he's not a u.s citizen as of yet and if he were to be convicted and and forced with jail time not only could he lose a lot of money but he could potentially be deported from the u.s yeah and i was going to ask you i mean at this point i'm sure details are still emerging because of course he's saying that he's at peace with his family but these reports are emerging about what what would happen so, so in your mind, and you're, and you're reading these reports about Familia, what, what is your move? What would you do with a pitcher who's, who's, who's caught in this type of situation? And, and again, details are still emerging. Of course, you're probably going to wait to see how things pan out with, with the details still coming. But how, how do you view him in, in the pecking order and his long-term jeopardy in New York right now? So that's the issue, and that's, that's the kind of – that's the gray area because he is not a Josh Brown kicker for the – you know, used to be a kicker for the Giants type of guy. He's, he's uber uh, important to how this team, you know, plays from – you know, for the next couple of years, he's only 27. But again, you you have a situation here. Jose Reyes went through the same thing and was suspended 52 games and – you know, he was suspended before he went to trial and every and anything came out in the wash. Uh, again, Arolda Chapman received a ban of 30 games. He wasn't arrested or charged with anything, but he was suspended through Major League Baseball. Then you've got a guy like Hector Oliveira, who was suspended for 82 games following assault uh, and was traded uh, from the Braves to the Padres just to get rid of his contract. So it, it really depends on the organization, on how they, on what they see fit. I mean, this is a guy that was involved in an anti-domestic uh, violence ad through the Mets and was immediately dropped from that ad through the company that they had hired. So while it's not a good look, uh, you know, the Mets... It's sad to say, but they're going to wait. They're not really going to do anything because Major League Baseball is going to do something. I, I suspect this guy is going to get suspended regardless. Uh, 15 games, 30 games like Chapman. I mean, Chapman wasn't what doesn't arrested or suspended and, to, and or wasn't, excuse me, wasn't arrested or 
or went to trial or anything, but was still suspended. So while that was curious in my eyes, something happened, and and somebody, you know, eventually it's not setting a good precedent if you just kind of sweep it under the rug. Just like, you know, we talked about at length for what the what the Giants did with Josh Brown. Now, obviously, that was a different story. Supposedly, that had gone on for for many many years, and this, you know, from what we know right now, was the first incident. But Going back to looking at the players that we just named, Jose Reyes, our oldest Chapman, Hector Oliveira, uh, Yasiel Puig was, was potentially involved with something with his sister last year in Miami. My question to you is, in baseball, it seems like the issue is with Latino players uh, as opposed to, you know, the NFL, obviously, and, you know, uh, basketball. So is it something, is it a cultural thing that in baseball that, that these players seem to be getting wrapped up in? Or is this just is this just mainstream and kind of coincidental in baseball that it seems to be all players, you know, uh, you know, from the from areas that are, you know, lesser known or, you know, from the Caribbean? I wouldn't attribute it to a specific background because I mean we just talked about you know Josh Brown and, and other players in the NFL have have been have battled this and you know the most notable Ray Rice in the video, but I just think players get into a situation where they they get heated or maybe before they're even known baseball players or known athletes they have these certain situations and you know they're still the same person as they say even even with a million dollars millions of dollars you are still the same person you are before the million i'm not trying to say that the million has done this his whole entire life or through his his entire relationship what i'm saying is that these mlb players and athletes in general are still citizens of our society and we all have our our issues some more severe than others and when you're an athlete when you're a baseball player a basketball player a football player when you go through these incidents, you know, it's not just a police report or whatever happens. Now it's in the papers. Now your general manager knows. Now your coach knows. Now your teammates know. So it's just coming out. And this is this is what's in society, and it's, it speaks to a bigger issue in America, in our society. We have to take domestic violence serious, and, and we have to take our relationships a lot more serious in terms of communication. I mean, there's ways of talking it out versus being physical, okay? We have to learn how to use our words. I know I sound like a, a preschool teacher here, but use your words, not your hands, okay? Yeah, no, it's very true. And, uh, you know, getting back to your original question, if I'm the Mets, you have to back yourself up for next season. You know, even if this guy is suspended for 30 games, it's a month of a season. A lot can happen in a month, even though, you know, we joked that it's a 162-game season. If you come out of the gate, you know, 8 and you know eight and 22 or, or whatever it might be, 10 and 20, those things add up towards the end of the season. So there's plenty of really, really good closers available. Mark Melanson, Aroldis Chapman is available. Uh, Kenley Jansen. If I'm the Mets, uh, you know, you got to back yourself up. From While Familia is good, we did talk that he struggled this year. ERA was very high. And, you know, you can never have enough good relief pitchers. Uh, so, you know, you have to prepare yourself for the worst and hope for the best. And obviously the best being, you know, Chapman and, every, uh, excuse me, uh, Familia we find out the details about this and if something did happen he you know he he has repercussions to pay and hopefully he gets help and everybody involved is safe because that is at the end of the day is the most important thing but from a baseball perspective the team as as well has to be ready for what could happen because with the Mets there's a lot of question marks on the field and you you know off the field you didn't expect this but you have to prepare yourself you know for the inevitable but that is it for building momentum we're going to come right back we're going to talk our week what is this, Mo? Week nine? Week eight? Week nine? nine. Week nine already. This this season is flying by. We're gonna have our picks. We're gonna talk some uh, fantasy football and why I pulled the rug out for Mo. We'll be right back. The wrap up.
Well, if you've been following along with the Mike and Mo versus the World Fantasy Football, you you know that it has been has been heated. It's been crazy all week long. Laura has been running away with it up until last week. Somebody finally knocked her off, so her unbeaten streak is gone. But as far as you know, the two guys that host this show. We've been trying to keep our own, okay? We've been we've been lying in the weeds. We've been trying to trying to do do what we can, but as you know, I have had every injured player in the NFL on my team. Yet for some reason, I'm still within striking distance, okay? I'm doing what I can. I'm picking up players. Uh, somehow Mo dropped Jordan Howard, and I scooped him up this past week. So Mo, I hope that comes back to bite you in the butt because he was phenomenal last week. I know he was on a bye, but that is not a guy you can drop. But my point is, is that Mo and I were tied. Going into, was it Monday night? We're tied at, I think it was like 128-128. And Mo had the Minnesota Vikings defense. And I thought for sure, I'm going to lose. I'm going to lose. I mean, I had no more players left. Well, the Minnesota Vikings laid a goose egg, and Mo got a negative point and a half, and your boy pulls it out. <laughs> and I didn't get on Mo. I didn't text him. I didn't call him. I didn't tweet him that, yo, you're a chump. I can't believe this happened. I waited for today on the air to let everyone know that you, my friend, should just wave the white towel because you are done. Uh, first of all, I want to send a, a, a angry shout-out to the Minnesota Vikings for laying the biggest goose egg in history, in fantasy history, when I needed them. As yep. Mike said, we went into Monday night, we were tied. And, right. I, and as Mike said, I'm like, for sure, I don't even have to watch this game. Yeah. Jay Cutler's coming back. He's terrible. The Bears are terrible. The Minnesota Vikings is going to shut them down. They're angry because they just got their first loss to the Eagles. There's no way I lose this game. If anything, I'm probably going to get about 20 points, and I'm going to walk away with this one. Nope. nope. Turns out Minnesota is terrible on defense <laughs> against Jay Cutler. Who, who knew? Jay Cutler is giving fiery pregame speeches like he's Ray Lewis. The new Kirk Cousins. And the Bears pull it out like they actually have a chance to go to the playoffs. Yeah, no, they There's- do. I love it. I love it. I think it's great. Um, I, again, shocked, amazed, but I loved every... I did not watch one second of that game. I honestly forgot it was even on because I just figured there was no way. But Minnesota is going through a lot. They uh, Offensive coordinator, North Turner, just resigned. Uh, they have no running game at all. The real Sam Bradford has apparently stood up. Uh, they, they don't have a lot. And if that defense is on the field for too many plays... Uh, because the offense is inept, this is a team that could not could, could actually miss the playoffs after being undefeated for the first portion of the game. So uh, I loved it. I'm shocked, amazed, but super happy that I took you to the woodshed. It's funny because I'm, I'm actually pretty good in – we're actually in two leagues. We're actually in another league too. Yeah. And I'm pretty good in both leagues, and Mike is 2-0 and against me, people. 2-0 yep. yep. against me. I, I can't explain it. I, I just I don't know what it is. But Minnesota, I mean, I'm just super disappointed. Just enough things. I didn't even watch the game. Basically, you won on the last drive because uh-huh. it, you take points away if the defense gives up too many yards. And I believe Minnesota gave up over 400 yards on the last play of the game, which brought me into the negative. Or else it would have been tied anyway, and Minnesota would just gave me zero. But because they wanted to play lackadaisical on defense on the last drive, they lost me a critical fantasy matchup. And now my playoff hopes, they are dashed, but they, you know, it's not looking great. It's looking okay. I'm still second in my division, tied with two other teams. As you said, Laura's running away with it in your division. I believe Justin Huffman is running away with it in my division. Mike and I are both still in it, people. We're, 
Mike's five and three, and I'm four and four. We're still fighting for that second playoff spot in our division. We'll keep you updated to see what happens. But the Minnesota Vikings need to wake the hell up. <laughs> yeah, Seriously. and to add to my injury woes, I lost Jamal Charles this week for the year. I also lost, you know, uh, his backup Ware, who went out with a concussion. So I can't believe that I have five wins, to be honest with you. Roethlisberger may not play, which means I still got to pick up a quarterback because Captain Kirk is on a bye. I mean, I just I can't catch a break. But let's get to the week nine picks. Tonight, Thursday night, game of the year. No, it's not. The Falcons and the Bucks. You gotta take the Falcons. Yeah, no argument there. Gotta yeah. take the Falcons, number one offense in the league. I watched the Bucks play against my Raiders. The Raiders had a, a NFL career high, I mean league high, twenty three penalties in the game and still beat the Bucks. That's how bad the Bucks are playing oh, right now. Was, was, that, was that another guy I lost? Jaquiz Rogers? Yeah, it was. Another guy that went down on my team, Mo. I cannot catch a break. You don't need a break. No, I don't. I'm winning. Uh, Steelers and the Ravens, like I said, don't know if Big Ben is going to be back. This is a rivalry, of course. I'm actually going to go out on a limb if Big Ben doesn't play because I just do not trust Landry. Uh, I'm going to take Baltimore. Yeah, yeah, I'm going with the Steelers. I, I read the press clippings, and according to my homie Ed Bouchette of the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, Ben Roethlisberger is on track to play in Week 9. I trust Ed. I've been reading Ed's work for years. Steelers win this game. All right. Cowboys and the Browns. Man, this could get ugly in a hurry. Going to take the Cowboys. Going to have Dak put up about 35 points. We could be looking at a shutout in Cleveland. Yeah, we could be looking at Ezekiel Elliott running for 200 yards. Uh, yeah. We had we hear the same narrative every day for the Browns. They play hard. They play hard. But they always lose. I mean, I give credit to the to Terrell Pryor because he was cooking Darrell Rebus last week. Yeah. But he's all they got right now. Yep. Cowboys win. Yeah, well, although your boy Corey Coleman is supposed to come back this week, unfortunately he can't throw the ball to himself, but it will be fun to see, you know, another target on the field. So, eh, we'll see. Josh McCown, Josh McCown. The Jaguars and the Chiefs, Nick Foles could be quarterbacking after Alex Smith's injury last week, his concussion. He's in the concussion protocol. Uh, where? Don't know if he's going to play, which means Shark Kendrick West. If he's out there in your fantasy league, pick him up. I am going to go with the Chiefs because they still have a really good defense. And that Jaguar offense, I mean, look at, look at them last Thursday. They got down so quick, you know, to Tennessee that, yeah, they made a comeback at the end, but it, it wasn't enough. It just, you know, again, their, their running game is non-existent. Chris Ivory is a huge bust. Thank God the Jets let him go. Uh, TJ Yeldon's not really doing much more. And, and there are wide receivers that were so good last year are feeling the effects of Bortles not really doing what he should have this year. So if you got either one of those guys, they, that, that's bad news. So Kansas City, Kansas City, Kansas City. I'm going to shock people here and go with Jacksonville. The Whoa. Chiefs are known as a grit and grind team. They run the ball hard. I don't think they're going to have Spencer Ware, who suffered a concussion. Uh, as you said, Jamal Charles, who's on your all-injury team, yeah. is going to be out. They got Char Kendrick West, but he's not the bruiser like Spencer Ware is, and I think that's going to hurt the Chiefs because it takes them out of their game plan. The Jaguars, I know they looked putrid on Thursday Night Football last week, but they had 10 days to prepare for this matchup. If they don't win this one, Gus Bradley deserves to be fired. I'm going with the Jaguars. The game that I will be at this Sunday, the Jets and the Dolphins. Whoever loses this game, their season is pretty much over. Uh, not that either of them really you know, deserve to get to the playoffs, but it's still relatively early, uh, not fantasy-wise, but as far as season-wise is concerned. I'm taking the Jets. 
I believe in Fitzmagic. Uh, Quincy Inunua looking looking like a number one receiver, which is not good if you own Brandon Marshall like I do in one of my leagues. But again, it's helpful because Decker is out for the year. Uh, Forte, you know, he's either really good or not so much, but it really depends on the offensive line play. They were looking to potentially trade Sheldon Richardson this past week. That did not come to fruition. Uh, he was rumored to go to Dallas. Dallas didn't want to give the Jets what they wanted, which was, uh, you know, probably a first-round pick. But regardless, let's take the Jets. Let's hope for the best because Ajay could run for 200, but Tannehill could also throw four interceptions. <laughs> As I said earlier, the Jets should win this game. Notice I said should. should. I mean, I was a little worried when they went down to the Browns early in that game yeah. last week, but they came back to win it. Uh, I don't know. I mean, one thing I have to say to Todd Bowles, I, you know, if I had to say one thing to him, you know, if I had him on the phone, please, you need to hide Darrell Revis. Yeah. I know it's sad, and Darrell Revis has been great for his career, but if you've watched Darrell Revis over the past few weeks, he is not even half the player he used to be. And if he's not willing to move to safety, he's going to have to sit on the bench because anywhere Darrell Revis is on the field, that's where Ryan Tannehill is going to throw it. I know Tannehill has been subpar to mediocre, but the way Darrell Revis is playing... He can get some passes over Darrell Revis and possibly burn the Jets' pass defense. But again, I'm going with the Jets almost reluctantly, but I'm going with the Jets to win this game. Don't screw it up, Ryan Fitzpatrick. Don't screw it up, Jets' defense. Hide Darrell Revis if you can. I mean, if you think about it, you got... Who do you have back there? You have Buster Scrine. You have Marcus Williams. You have Marcus Gilchrist at safety. You have Calvin Pryor at safety. Calvin Pryor is not the best cover safety either. But he's not as bad as Darrell Revis. I don't know. It's, it's so hard because you have to deal with a, a player who's probably going to go to the Hall of Fame, has a Super Bowl win. But, again, he's just not the same. And they're going to have to figure out a way, some way, to hide him. I don't know if that's, you know, wrapping up the pass rush on Ryan Tannehill, Ryan Tannehill or just simply pushing him to the slot or, or maybe moving him on the on the least effective wide receiver. But they have to do something with Darrell Revis. Yeah, absolutely. The Lions and the Vikings... I, I I can't. I just can't go with Minnesota. I, Matthew Stafford's having a great year that nobody knows about. Uh, Theo Riddick having a really good year. Eric Ebron is back, had about 70 yards last week. The Lions are not that bad. I'm going to go with the Lions on the road because I just I can't. I, I don't believe in Minnesota anymore. They, gotta, they need to really right the ship. If anyone deserves to dump Minnesota, it would be me after what they did on Monday yeah. Night Football. But I'm going to go with Minnesota. It hurts me to say it because I'm, I am terribly angry at them right now. I mean, I don't see them losing three games in a row. They look great the first five games. It's hard to see a team look so great in the first five and then lose three. I believe they laid the biggest egg that they could on Monday Night Football, and they have to rebound against the Detroit Lions. The Minnesota Vikings' weak spot is basically running the ball. We saw what Jordan Howard did on Monday Night Football, and the Lions just don't have that. I mean, Theo Riddick is good as a versatile running back, but he's not going to tote the tote the rock yeah. twenty to twenty five times to gash the Minnesota Vikings defense. So I think Minnesota recovers finally and gives me some points for once. <laughs> you should drop them and win this game at home. Yeah, just just drop them. Oh, it's over. Uh, the Eagles and the Giants. Carson Wentz coming back down to earth. Darren Sproles is your lead back. That's not good. I'm taking the Giants because they need this win. Uh, they got a lot to prove themselves. Uh, what happened to your boy Shepard? Where, where did he disappear to in the offense? Shepard is not showing up in the offense because Ben McAdoo has pulled the reins back on that on that entire offense. Manning isn't even as good as he was the past two years, and I think they need to 
let the leash go. I mean, give give Manning some room to throw, sling the ball around the field because that's when the Giants are most effective. You can only go with so far throwing slant routes to Odell Beckham Jr. You're going to have to spread out that ball. I think the Giants are going to falter because when's the last time the Giants have actually lived up to expectations and beat a team that they should be at a certain point in the season? I think the Eagles win this. The Eagles have been playing well. They took the Dallas Cowboys to overtime last week. And I think both teams are better than the Giants. The Eagles take this game, and a close one, of course, but the Eagles win this one. I'm taking the Giants because I'm hopeful that Ben McAdoo, even though I want him to win, loses his job at the end of the year because reports are that the Giants were actually close to signing Nick Saban last year. And it is a possibility that they could uh, even revisit that if and when the Alabama Crimson Tide upset Moe's uh, Michigan Wolverines in the uh, you know the college championship this offseason. But I would love to see old Nick in, in, uh, in giant blue, but they would definitely have to give him a whole lot of uh, leeway, which, uh, you know, at this point, maybe that's what the Giants need. First of all, okay, Nick Saban would not like to be in the Meadowlands with the Giants because him and Odell Beckham in a room, that's a, <laughs> that's a combustible combination right there. If you watch Nick Saban on the sidelines at Alabama... He does not tolerate tomfoolery on his on his roster in his locker room. So that I don't think that would work out. The other thing is his wife loves Alabama, loves Tuscaloosa, Tuscaloosa as a matter of fact. And I think he's she's the one who basically nicks the first deal because Nick was interested, but his wife wanted to stay in Alabama. He said, "I got I got to listen to my wife because happy wife, happy life, right?" Mm-hmm. So. Um, I would worry, if I'm Alabama, I would worry about LSU this weekend. Just saying. I know Stop we're not it. college football, but Stop it. I would worry about LSU. I'm just saying. Be careful. Michigan, Michigan all the way. I think Michigan's going to finish in the top two, of course. And hardball, look out for those khakis. They could be raising the trophy at the end of the year. Khaki power. Khaki power. The Panthers and the Rams. are. Did the Panthers right the ship last week? Because they, I can't believe where that offensive came from. I mean, uh, Jonathan Stewart, two touchdowns. Cam was, well, when he wasn't crying, he was playing pretty well. They, they don't really have much of a receiving game. I watched Funches drop a ton of balls. Uh, Teddy Ginn. I mean, uh, Benjamin's not really doing much. Even, even uh, Olsen had two catches. I mean, I don't know how they scored all those points, but I know they got a, a defensive score, but uh, should we expect them to, to run all over the Rams? Yeah, they're going to they're gonna beat the Rams because, as we all know, our buddy Jeff Fisher, Mr. 79, yeah. is, is right on track right now, I believe, mm-hmm. 3 and 4. He's right on track for another 7-9 season. Uh, Carolina wins this game. I don't think Carolina is completely right to shit because the Cardinals aren't completely right either. No. And the Rams are never right. So, I mean, yeah. the Panthers just have the talent, and they win this game. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Saints and the Niners, man, what a great game this would have been like seven years ago. Now, not so much. I'm going to take the Saints because it is Drew Brees versus, not, I mean, a, a terrible secondary and, you know, uh, a banged-up uh, linebacking crew. So, yeah, no, I just can't. I can't with, I can't with this game. I just can't. Uh, yeah, the Saints win this one by virtue of a blowout. The Fortnite's don't have anything good besides maybe a run game because they have a mobile quarterback and they have Carlos Hyde in there. But it's Drew Brees, it's the Saints. They're going to spread them out, dice them up, and win by maybe three touchdowns. Yeah. Where did Tim Hightower come back from? He, he played really well last year at the end of the season when Ingram got hurt, and there he was last week, 120 yards, and turning back the clock. I mean, this guy's been around forever, and he just won't go away. Yeah, he's like that rash that will never go away, not that I ever had a rash that right. never went away. But I'm saying, I mean, I don't know how many carries he's going to get this week because I think 
the Saints simply benched Mark Ingram because of the fumble. I think if Mark Ingram goes back to protect the football, he'll he'll, he'll at least get 60-40 of the workload. Okay. Colts, Packers, Aaron Rodgers could put up 75 points. Let's just be honest. <laughs> it's very possible. And Frank Gore's having a pretty good year. Uh, Andrew Luck is either really good or really bad as well. T.Y. Hilton, we don't know how much uh, he's going to play. He is nursing that lower leg injury. But, man, oh, man, the Colts are so bad on defense. So, uh, Green Bay in a walkover. I think Green Bay wins 45-42. to 42. Both teams what? have a pretty bad secondary. The, the Packers have lost their top three cornerbacks. And if you saw the Atlanta Falcons game with the Packers last week at the end, the fact uh, the Atlanta Falcons are able to move the ball pretty pretty freely down the field, and I think both teams are going to struggle. I, you know, they're probably going to put up combined. They should put up a combined very close to ninety points, as I said, forty five, forty two, which is which is eighty seven. But the Packers win in a shootout. Titans Chargers. I want both teams to wear all baby blue and to be completely confused of who is on what team. Because that might be the only way we have a really, really interesting matchup. Chargers, I don't get it. Again, they played really well, but they couldn't get in the end zone. Four tries against the Broncos when the game was right there. I think it's eventually just going to cost Mike McCoy his job. I don't necessarily think it's his fault, but there's too many injuries. And, and at crunch time, when you really need guys to step up, it's just not there. So Yeah, I got the Chargers over the Titans. I, I've been high on the Titans lately because they, they do well with that uh, exotic smash-mouth offense that they have. But I just think the Chargers are will be able to throw the ball on the Titans and they win a very close and entertaining game. Now, the next pick, I'm, I'm, I'm going to let Mike take this away because I'm totally shocked on this pick. But Mike, go ahead. Uh, tell us how you gave away your uh, your John Elway jersey and poster and you're no longer a Broncos fan. Uh, it's, uh, it's not, I haven't been a Broncos fan since John Elway hung it up. But I just, I don't know what, I know he, he thinks that the defense is what, what obviously won on the title last year, but it's just, it's not enough. It's not enough. And Mo, not that you've convinced me that Oakland is for real, but they're, Really? They're pretty good. But again, I don't trust them that much either because they continue to pull it out at the end and eventually they're not going to be able to pull it out against good teams. And the Bucks are not a good team. But you got to give credit where credit is due. They, You know, Oakland fights, man. They fight till the very end. Pulled it out last week. And I think at home... Against that Bronco defense that is still good, but a Bronco offense that is not, I, I see Oakland in another shootout. I, I Crazy enough because the Oakland defense is not exactly living up to the hype. I see them pulling out another close game and further expanding that lead in the division. So there you go. There you have it. Mike has picked against the Broncos two weeks in two, a row. Two weeks. Two weeks in a row. Three weeks? No, two. Two just two. I think two. Probably. Two, two weeks in a row. So... <laughs> He's giving in his John Elway card. Uh, no longer wearing the, the orange juice orange. Raiders all the way. I think the Raiders win a low-scoring game, 17-13. These two teams battled last year. The Raiders beat the Denver Broncos on the road. And I believe the score was 16-10. And you pretty much had the same matchup this year because, as you said, the Broncos' offense does look impressive. You have Trevor Simeon and Devontae Booker at pivotal spots in your offense. And Trevor Simeon just doesn't stretch the field, doesn't get the ball enough to Demarius Thomas. And Emmanuel Sanders, Demarius Thomas, when he does catch the ball, by the way. Mm. But the Raiders, uh, I think they're in a good spot. I get a little nervous about the Raiders at home because Derek Carr, you know, he has the jitters at home. The Raiders are 1-2 and two at home. They're 5-0 and oh on the road this year. It's going to be a very close game. It's going to be a low-scoring game. But the Raiders win because they capitalize on some mistakes. As Mike said, the defense, the Broncos defense will be on the field too long. The Raiders run the ball with Latavius Murray and win the game in the final seconds again. Bills and Seahawks to wrap it up. I 
Percy Harvin is back, baby. I, what? Like what? Really? This is this is the desperation that that Buffalo is is currently in. We're bringing back Percy Harvin. Uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, they don't stand a prayer if Shady McCoy doesn't play. Uh, it's really just as simple as that because their defense last week, obviously they played New England, was was non-existent. So um, with that being said, it's got to be Seattle. I love what ProSize did. The kid from Notre Dame finally he's healthy. Uh, Thomas Rawls, probably not going to play this week, but he could be back within, uh, you know, a week or so. So they're getting healthy at the right time. I don't know exactly what's going to go on with Russell. Um, He's still taped up from his groin to his leg. He's not the type of quarterback that we're used to seeing. I mean, nine points last week, if you had him in your fantasy team, not good. But he's going to play because that's, he's just a gamer and, and there's nobody else that, you know, potentially could lead this team currently on the roster for the Seahawks. So, uh, yeah, Seahawks. I think Russell Wilson had a, I believe he had an ankle brace and a knee brace at one point. He shed the ankle brace. I don't know if he's going to wear the knee brace for this game, but that's, I think that that's attributes to his, uh, his uh, poor stats, poor numbers. Russell Wilson is most effective when he's moving, moving the pocket, that is. But I think the Seahawks win this game because you're not going to beat the Seahawks defense as a one-trick pony, and that's what the Bills are. They, they just run the ball. And it, it tells you, the fact that they reached out to Percy Harvin to bring him back like it's 2011 tells you about the Bills' offense, that they, they desperately need help at the receiver position. Not enough targets for Tyrod Taylor. Again, um, Sean McCoy is nicked. Even if he does play, not going to be 100%. Seahawks focusing on the run game and witness. That is it. That is it for, uh, for well, not yet. I mean, I, technically it's it for episode 38. But before we go, I, I just want to tell the NFL to stop. Stop with the ties. Nobody wants to watch, like, a three-hour game and it ends in a tie. It's terrible. Figure it out. Play till everybody is exhausted or start, like, shootout kick, kicking field goals from, you know, like, the 40 or 50-yard line. There has to be a way to fix this. Uh, I, I just, it's just it's horrible football. I mean, it, it's really not entertaining, and it's not helping your ratings, guys. It's not, it's not it at all. So, Goodell, you got some work to do, my man. Fix it. This is what I got, okay? Send the kicker to the 50-yard line, or just make it a 50-yard kick. Three kicks for each kicker on both teams. Put more emphasis on the kicker so now people can't say, oh, the kicker's just a kicker. He's not important. Make him important to the overtime. Scrap the whole overtime period and just have the kickers kick three field goals from, from 50 yards out. Whoever has the most wins, if they have a tie, like if they both hit one field goal, then you go to another round. Yeah. I think that would be great because the NFL wants to – Protect players because they say they don't want an ongoing overtime. You don't want two teams playing to the till a team scores because, you know, they, the increase of players getting hurt and safety and all of that stuff. So okay, take them off the field and just let the kickers decide it. Kick it out. Yeah, that'd be cool. I mean, otherwise, just line up like you do for like a two point conversion and everybody gets one shot. I mean, just something has to be done because as it stands, not so good. Now, Mo. What is the deal with the entertainment news? I mean, I know you're like a young Ryan Seacrest. Anything going on that needs to be told to us? Um, besides, you know, there's something going on November 8th. I, I, yeah, yeah, you just hit the, hit the nail on the head right there. I'm not going to go into entertainment news per se, but if you've been following the presidential election race, then it basically is entertainment news to you. Uh, if you if you haven't if you haven't been in America if you haven't uh, been noticing anything different lately we have an election coming up on Tuesday November eighth if if you're out there if you're registered to vote go vote if you don't want to vote I'm not going to tell you that you should vote either because uh, some people don't like either candidate some people don't like any of the candidates and that includes Jill Stein and Gary Johnson 
You know, I keep my political views to myself or on Facebook sometimes, bailed in a sports joke or something like that. But all I will say is, I won't tell you who I'm voting for, but what I will say is it's going to be an exciting time because, first of all, no matter what happens, a New Yorker is going to be president of the United States, both <laughs> Hillary and Donald Trump, who's from Queens, Queens. Coming, coming out of New York City. So somehow, someway, New York will rule America. Okay, that's just the first thing. Did you say? Thing did, is, did you say ruin or rule? Rule. Oh, okay, sorry. not sorry. ruin. Sorry. Well, maybe sorry. ruin, but yeah. we hope they don't ruin either yeah. one of them. If they win because we know it's a two. Even though four candidates are in, it's a two-person race. Yeah. But history could be made. We could have the first female president. Whether you like Hillary or not, you have to acknowledge that that is history being made if she indeed wins the election. It's gonna be huge. This election <laughs> is huge. Get out there and vote. Vote. <laughs> So when her jobs don't have to go to China anymore. It's huge. <laughs> I mean, again, I, I, if you're a Trump supporter, fine. I, I don't have anything negative to say about Trump supporters. They have their reasons for voting for him. Uh, can we just stop the voter uh, intimidation? Yeah. I, I heard, uh, I believe it was in, a church in Mississippi was burnt down and it was spray-pended, uh, vote Trump. Let's just stop the voter intimidation and respect people's decisions, whatever that may be, because we all come from... Different walks of life and have different views. If you're a Trump supporter, go out and support your candidate. If you're a Clinton supporter, go out and support your candidate. If you're a Johnson or a Jill Stein supporter, go out and support your candidate. Every vote counts, no matter what people tell you, and, and we'll see what happens. And, of course, if you want your political news fixed from me, I, I, I would advise you to either inbox me or check into my Facebook not my Twitter because there are Rangers fans there yeah. and they will not enjoy the political updates. No. And, so you know, I just really can't wait for my Facebook face. What is it called? Line, whatever it's called to get back to normal. I just want the regular hate. I don't want to hear any more, you know, uh, politicalness. I mean, I, I the thing is, people, it's fine. Everybody should vote. Do your do your thing. Believe in who you believe. But I don't give a crap who you like. Okay, I do not care who you're voting for. Just like you really shouldn't care who I vote for. It's 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 a personal choice. Go in the booth. Don't do like Justin Timberlake and take a picture because that's illegal. You can't do that kind of stuff, guys. Be smart about it. But really, for for future voting processes, whether it's for the president of the United States or, you know, your local congressman or the NBA All-Star game. I don't give a crap who you're voting for. Stop telling me who's right, who's wrong. Just do it. Shut up. Like, in a world where we're all PC and everything is, you know, super hush-hush, everybody loves to throw around their political beliefs. Like, really? That's kind of contradictory to everything else that we believe in. So, mind your business. Go about your way. Vote early if you can. Otherwise, go to the polls November 8th and just let's get back to some kind of normalcy ASAP because, good Lord, this has been a long time coming. Yeah, and, and people have said this. Some people are just like, I just can't wait till the election is over so we can stop with the with the hate both ways and all this shouting back. And, and you're right about the whole Facebook thing. People are just going all out to like, discredit the other candidate. And, and like you, I just kind of say, you know what? How about we just stop trying to influence the world and just vote yeah. and see what happens, okay? Because that, at the end of the day, the vote counts, and that will decide who's going to be the next president. Whether you like it or not, that's what's going to happen. Yeah, absolutely. Do what you can and uh, mind your business. Just mind your business. But that is it. Episode 38 of the Mike and Mo Show. As always on Stitcher, Mike and Mo Show. Listen to all 38 episodes. That is a lot of of podcasts people like many many hours that me and my man mo have invested so i want you to listen to all of them and there'll be a 10 question quiz 
on episode 39. <laughs> Otherwise, Facebook, Twitter, Mike and Mo Show, follow, reply, tweet, do it all. We, the numbers are going up. We're having, uh, you know, having a good time doing it all. And, uh, you know, of course, you can check us out uh, via those pages on all of our written words that we produce throughout the week. Plenty of outlets to find us. Stay tuned. Mo, anything else before we sign off? Uh, two things. Congratulations to the Chicago Cubs. Finally broke the curse. Man. And go Oakland Raiders. <laughs> we, we, they need to win this week. Uh, people have been banging on them because they haven't beat a legitimate contender. The Broncos are obviously a legitimate opponent. If they win this game, they go 7-2. People will finally respect the Oakland Raiders. So even though this one game won't decide the whole season, it can legitimize their respect across the league. Yes, absolutely. And this Sunday, while I'm in Miami, I will try not to punch a Dolphin fan um, and get arrested. So it will be uh, it will be an interesting time. If I don't come back for next week's episode, Mo, you got to bail me out. Of course, I'll just have the Mo and Mo show, and um, we'll, and we'll work on your bail money and see how that turns out. Otherwise. You know, don't do what I wouldn't do. Yeah, on location from County Lockup, the Mikey M.O. Show. It'll be great. But that is it. Episode 38 in the books. Everybody have a fantastic week. Get out there and vote. Have some fun. Do the damn thing, and we'll talk to you then. Take care. <laughs>